0: Join us every Friday for encouragement, freedom, and biblical truth. Grab your coffee or grab your tea. It's going to be a good one. So hello everyone and it is so good to be back. Um thank you everyone for your prayers, your outpouring of texts and love and messages. Um having a 103.3 fever for 2 days and literally having nothing but a fever was the weirdest sickness of my life. So thank you so very much. I felt so weird not to do a podcast, but I needed to really unplug and have a headset on and I just was not feeling any joy (laughs) so um i would have been crabby kim on my live so i do want to introduce our new moderator that we have in the house tonight and that is miss jamie uh i always thought she had a wrench i guess i didn't give her a wrench so let's give her some love and warmth we have Carly's in the house. Um, I do not know if Sir Pierce is here. If you are, brother, hello, hello. So I'm seeing a lot of people. I see Miss Wren, hello. We've got Mindy. We've got Val. Hello, hello. Um, and a lot of other people. And I'm going to rush here a little bit. We got Sweet Barber's in the house. Mary Jo, hello. Um, Bonita, hello, sweet sister. And guess who we have back on StreamYard? Sandra, so two seconds. I'm going to bring her on really quick. Hello, Tim. I'm going to bring her on. Say hello. Your mic is muted as always. Um, so say hello and then, hi, everybody. All right, no worries. So welcome back. Um, it's thank been you. a lonely road without oh, yeah. you here. Um, I do see this that just came up. So Cindy Ray, thank you so much, sister. Mm-hmm. You guys know how I feel about that stuff, and I don't like it. So, but thank you very much and may the lord bless you for that thank you all right so we are ready to go um sandra so you have an amazing evening and unfortunately maybe we'll have 10 minutes of girls chit chat after i have to go so um but i will see you after this so uh, okay bye everyone bye all right so for those who are um unaware I got an amazing gift package from an amazing sweet sister of mine. We have become fast friends here through the podcast, Miss Pippa, um, who lives in um, Australia. And she sent me this amazing gift package. It had so much in it. It had beautiful letters. I, I haven't, Read like a handheld letter since like 1985, so that was really fun. I I felt like I was back in the 80s. It was great. Um, pictures galore. Um, she sent me a beautiful beach towel, which tomorrow is a beach day for me. So I'm actually going to be bringing my Australian towel. Um, I don't know. Maybe someone will think I'm from Australia and my mate will appear. I don't know. So anyway, um, then I I have it at my job, but she hand knitted, hand knitted, this amazingly beautiful, I call it a sweater. I think she called it a jumper, romper. I don't know. It's got a little hoodie on it. That thing is so super comfortable. Um, I can just nestle in it. So Pippa, thank you. But without further ado on that one, Sandra, um, she also gave something else that I want to introduce. So let us introduce this week's mug. All right. So also inside my bag of goodies, I mean, pens, it was just great. I felt like it was Christmas morning. Um, So inside of that was this beautiful mug. And it said here, all I need is Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? I love it. So in here, I've got some regular coffee with my um, pumpkin spice creamer. No sugar, healthy, but I guess it tastes good. I'll take it. Okay. Folks, we have a lot to dive into. So we're going to have kind of a system here tonight. And I just seen Sir Pierce. So welcome, brother. Thank you for modding tonight. Um, So basically, as you guys know, we have Pastor Dennis back on. And um, the way the show is going to be set up tonight, it's going to be formatted in segments. So segment number one, Um, So get your questions ready right from the duration. Sandra's going to be starring those, paying attention to those questions. Okay, so for about the first half, Pastor Dennis is going to talk about the three tenses of salvation. When he is done with that, we're going to have a very quick Q&A. So Sandra, at the end of that discussion, when he is done, she'll put up the things on how to do questions. So will Carly and whoever else who's modding. Then after that quick questionnaire, So if you don't get your question answered, it's okay. We have others. Then Pastor Dennis is going to be discussing Matthew chapter twenty-four, verse thirteen. Then after that discussion, another quick Q and A. Then we're going to dive into James chapter two. I believe that's what my chicken scratch says. Then after that discussion, another Q and A, and then towards the end, Pastor Dennis would like to give some. Information on free materials where you guys can also share and um, connect with, you know, getting the information yourself and also a conference that is coming up. And Pastor Dennis, do not forget to give me those so I can put them in the show link. That would be great. So uh, that's it. So that's that's our outline for tonight. And I'm pretty excited. I'm pretty excited that I'm feeling good. Um, Thank you, Lord. I'm pretty excited. The rapture is on the horizon. Um, I'm not pretty excited about Israel and all that other stuff that's happening. Um, We need to pray, pray, pray. Um, But Jesus is coming soon. And, you know, in these days that we're living in, they're very trying. They're very worrisome. Uh, God still sits on that throne, y'all. He's not going anywhere. He's not nervous, pacing back and forth, wondering, oh, my gosh, I didn't get the memo. What's happening? He knows. It's all part of the plan. So let's finish this race well um and i'm preaching to myself here you know we get tired weary worn um i get irritable Uh, i hate people sometimes (laughs) so um i'm really excited about tonight so without further ado i'm going to remove this one here sandra so without further ado i'm not going to add that i meant to add you but i didn't add you i hit your powerpoint instead (laughs) pastor dennis how are you I'm doing really well, Kim,
1: and as they would say in middle Georgia, just bless your heart for having me on.
0: Well, bless your heart for coming on, even though you stressed me out because it's like we have stuff to set up and I keep looking at the time. I love you, but I get stressed.
1: Yes, I'm sorry. I had to
0: take care of my daughter for a little while today. It's okay. It feels like I'm in the restaurant industry in a bottleneck again. (laughs) Because then I knew I had to talk to Sandra, so I'm like, how am I going to get this done? I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to put my thinking cap on. So, you're doing well? How's the weather out there in Georgia? Well, I didn't move for the weather, but
1: I sure am enjoying it. You know, Minnesota already has snow and cold and whatever. So, it was 70, uh, it's supposed to be 72, 74 tomorrow, so nice.
0: Mm. Well, it'll be pretty. I mean, usually North, because you're in North Georgia, right? In Middle Georgia. Oh, middle Georgia. Okay. Yeah. North Georgia is a little bit more with the nice Mm -hmm. temperatures come next month from like December, January, February.
1: About an hour and a half south of Atlanta.
0: Oh, okay. So I probably know exactly where you are. Because, you know, I had seven years in that neck of the woods in Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Pretty close to Macon. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. 20 minutes south of Macon.
0: Okay, awesome. Yep, I used to have a friend that lived out in Macon. She doesn't live there now. She moved back to Kentucky, but um, I know that trail very well, going from Atlanta to Ocala, Florida. It's just the only way to go. So I'm very familiar with it. So other than that, you're doing well? Yes. Good.
1: i looking forward to tonight. I'm thankful to be on for the fourth time and to be able to explain some extremely important biblical truths that Unfortunately, too many believers have not heard or understood, and again, it's by virtue of the failure of pastors and teachers to communicate these truths in the Word of God.
0: Absolutely. So just by a show of thumbs up, I don't know if my mic is too loud and Pastor Dennis's is too low. On my end, it sounds a little low, but that could just be me. So um, I'll know what... Would you like me lower, Kim? No, I'd like you a little higher. Okay, well... And if you go... go let me hear you now I get. yeah if you go under just so you know on your settings i don't know if that gentleman is still i think his name was mike right michael
1: it's dale
0: dale but under settings at the bottom dale if you go there if you click on settings there's an audio tab and then if you click audio you can actually make his mic a little louder down there as well if that helps Let's take a quick break. Everyone is podcasting these days. If this is something you want to do or you're already doing it, I would recommend using Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout has tons of guides to help you find the right equipment at the right price. I currently use the Blue Yeti. Buzzsprout is an extremely user-friendly platform, and I could not be happier with their services. There are so many things that this site allows you to do from your show being listed on every major podcast platform to the audio player that you can use seamlessly on your websites to the detailed analytics of what we come on guys, the podcasters want to see. Don't lie. I know you look at that too. We want to know who was listening, where they're listening, how long they're listening, There are zero hassles because Buzzsprout provides these tools and more to help promote our podcasts. Fellow podcasters, do we not work hard? Well, I am here to tell you that Buzzsprout works even harder to make our podcasts stream streamlessly. Yes, I know that's not a word. If you want to join a company that already has over 100,000 podcasters, click the link And let Buzzsprout know that we sent you. This will get you a $20 credit if you sign up for a paid plan. And in addition, of course, it'll help support our show. Don't delay. Start Buzzsprouting today. Yeah,
2: nope, click on that. Okay, just, yeah, you've got the right mic. Click it one more time. Yeah, let's got the right mic.
1: Okay, I think that's about as good as we're
0: going to get. Oh, perfect. A lot better. Okay. Yeah. So I just wanted to make sure we were balanced out because I know that my mic can't. I'm looking at it. I'm still in the green. As long as I'm not hitting yellow, I'm good. Um, But I think we're good now.
1: Anything to hear my bass voice would be great.
0: That's right. Show you ride some Barry, some Barry white. All right. Well, listen, this is your show right now, so you can go ahead and, um, do you want me to set up the PowerPoint? Sure. All right. Here we go. We are ready to dive in. Well,
1: tonight I'm going to discuss a very important subject, uh, regarding are you saved? And the believer in Christ should be able to answer. I have been, I am being, and I will be. If they understand the three tenses of salvation. Now, salvation, obviously, is a huge issue in the Bible. I mean, God, Christ came to seek and to save that which is lost. But too often, people are confused when reading the Bible, and you can understand why if they do not understand this truth. For example, in Titus 3.5, we read, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us past tense. Then you read in 1 Timothy 4.16, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you in the present. And then in Romans 13.11, and do this knowing the time that now it's high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And you're saying well if i've already been saved how can salvation be nearer well you have to understand that the word salvation is not a technical term in the bible and by that i mean it's not used only one way it always carries the idea of escape or deliverance but the context determines the nuance of the salvation that is being discussed and that's why 2 timothy 2:15 2, says study to show Yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And if there's one issue you need to rightly divide the word of truth on, it is the three tenses of salvation. Now, they're sometimes called three tenses. Sometimes I call them three stages. Sometimes I call them three phases. But you see, it all begins with salvation first tense, in which you have been saved from the penalty of sin the moment you place your trust in Christ alone. And this is what the biblical concept of justification, being declared righteous before God, has to deal with. But you see, that's not the end of the road. That's the beginning of the road in which you're born again. And now we move from birth truths to growth truths. And stage two of salvation, we theologically call that sanctification, being saved from the power of sin as you walk by faith, and you're enabled by the Holy Spirit to have victory over sin, and you grow in your Christian life. And this is an anticipation one day of being saved from the very presence of sin, either by death or by rapture. And if one has been justified, it's positive they will be glorified, according to Romans 8.30. The question is, how will they live their life in between? Whether, whether Will they enjoy Salvation from sin's power or not, as the Christian life is a moment-by-moment walk with the Lord. Now let's define our terms to begin with. The biblical words translated saved, saved, salvation, etc. carries the idea of deliverance, safety, rescue, preservation, release, victory. The concept of salvation is actually found over 600 times in the bible and so i'm just giving you a little glance here of the different words salvation save save saved saving savior and so forth and how many times they're found in the bible but over 600 times this concept of salvation surfaces by virtue of the words that are used but what determines the actual nuance or meaning in each case or passage is the context You've heard so many times, the context is the key to understanding anything. If I say, for example, that's garbage, you don't know what I mean unless you know the context. Are we talking about the trash? Are we talking about what someone just said? The same is true if I say, I want you to go get the trunk. Are we talking the trunk in the attic, the trunk in the car, the trunk on the elephant? What Are we talking about the trunk on the person? What are we talking about? So you need to know the context, and that looks at words and sentences and paragraphs and books and so forth. Usually, it's found by looking at the verses before and after a passage of Scripture. Now, as we think of all of this, I want to underscore right off the bat, there's two distinct forms of salvation. The first is physical salvation. And in the Old Testament, the primary usage of salvation is predominantly a physical deliverance from physical danger, or one's physical enemies, or one's physical troubles, or even one's physical death. Now, we use that word this way. For example, if you're drowning and someone saves you, we don't think that means they save you from hell, but they save you physically. And the Bible uses that a lot in the Old Testament. For example, Genesis 45, 7, And God sent me before you to preserve, there is our word, a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. This is Joseph talking to his brothers of how God was using him to preserve physically the nation of Israel. He says later in Genesis 50, verse 20, But as for you, you meant evil against me but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. The word save here is in reference to physical salvation from death and from the famine they were experiencing in Israel that caused them to then come to Egypt under the leadership of Joseph. In Exodus 1.22, we read, So Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son that's Israelite's son who is was born, you shall cast into the river and every daughter you shall save alive. Again, this is clearly in the context, physical salvation. Deuteronomy 20 verse four, for the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. To save you from what? From hell? No, to save you from your enemies and the danger you are in. And so while this emphasis on physical salvation is, re, is repeatedly caught in the Old Testament, it does not remain in the New Testament, that same emphasis. For the New Testament does at times still employ this usage of physical salvation in a few places. But predominantly in the New, we're talking about a spiritual salvation. Let me just show you a couple physical salvation verses like the Lord Jesus Christ and suddenly a great tempest of rose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he, Jesus, was asleep, and his disciples came to him, woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. So are they asking to be saved from hell? No. From something spiritual? No. To be delivered from the tempest and the damage it would do. Matthew 27:40, saying, you who destroy the temple, this is what they're saying to Jesus on the cross, and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Hmm. Save yourself here would mean save yourself from death, physical death. In Mark 3, verse 4, and he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. So we're seeing here in the New Testament as well, that the word saved can, depending on the context, refer to a physical deliverance, rescue, escape of some kind. So what are the two groupings that physical salvation includes? Well, first of all, we've been seeing individual physical salvation being referred to, but it can also, especially in the Old Testament, but a few times in the New, refer to national physical Israel when it comes to National physical salvation when it comes to the nation of Israel. For you see, God made these covenants with Israel, these unconditional covenants in which He's promised them a land and seed and blessing. And God always keeps His word. And Israel presently is in the land, but they're in an unbelief. There will come a time in which the nation of Israel, after the rapture of the church during the tribulation period, will turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, and they will put their faith in him. They not only save them spiritually, but then they will call upon him to save them from physically from their enemies. And so we see that in the Old Testament, the Lord saved Israel. Deuteronomy thirty three twenty nine, 29. Happy are you, o Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, physically speaking. 1 Samuel 14 23, so the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle shifted to Beth of Avon. In Isaiah 45, 17, but Israel shall be saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You shall not be ashamed or disgraced forever and ever. Jeremiah 23 6 In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell safely, dwell safely physically. They're in the land And then we see in Romans 11 as well. And so all Israel will be saved or delivered from the enemy and in particular the armies of the Antichrist at the end of the tribulation period. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. So I'm using all of these verses to show that there's this idea of physical salvation, either individually or nationally in the both of the old and the new testament but in the new testament the predominant usage of salvation has a spiritual salvation in view especially in light of the fact that jesus christ came to seek and to save that which is lost so as we go to that picture of the three tenses of salvation again we're talking here about spiritual salvation first being saved from the penalty of sin which is hell then as a believer, being saved from the power of sin, as we walk in the spirit and don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, in view of the fact that one day we'll be saved from the presence of sin. And if you don't understand these three tenses, you will get confused when you read verses in the Bible. Now let's start with the beginning. And let's keep in mind for the unbeliever, salvation is always future. Why? Because they've not been saved. And so in John chapter 3, where the Lord Jesus has talked to Nicodemus about being born again, he uses an illustration from Numbers 21. And he says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up on the cross, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Everlasting life is spiritual. It's a life that will go on forever in relationship with God. It's not just eternal. Everyone will live forever. The question is, will you experience eternal life or experience eternal death? Here we're talking about eternal life. And then comes the most famous verse in the Bible, perhaps, John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The very next verse says, For God did not send His son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. Now, what salvation is that in the context? Well, it's not physical. It's clearly spiritual salvation. And it's in reference to being saved from God's condemnation in hell. How do you know that? Well, the next verse says, He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Because why? He has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And that's why when the Philippian jailer came in and asked Paul and Silas Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What salvation was he thinking about? He was talking about a spiritual salvation from a punishment for his sins, a judgment from God. And what was their answer? They said, believe believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. The only condition for salvation from hell and the receiving of eternal life is to believe. The heiress active imperative of postuum means the one condition is to believe. Postuum means to rely on or trust in who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Why him? Because he's the only Savior God ever provided. He's the only one who died for our sins. And the penalty for sin is death. It's not baptism. The penalty for sin is death. It's not going to church. The penalty for sin is death. It's not repenting from your sin. The penalty for sin is death. And the good news is that instead of us dying for our sins, the Lord Jesus Christ died in our place and paid for them completely. So the penalty has been paid. And if we're willing to receive the gift of salvation by faith alone in Christ alone, the promises you will be saved, that is a guaranteed promise from God. The need is obvious. God is holy. We are sinful and the penalty for sin is death. But the good news is that Jesus Christ, the one mediator between God and man, paid the penalty of our sins. And on the third day, he rose again to offer us salvation by grace. Now, salvation is by grace, and grace is free to us, but it's not cheap. It's not cheap because it costs Jesus Christ his life. And that is why grace is sometimes explained by the acronym, God's Riches at Christ's Expense. As a result of that, we know God loves you this much, that he was willing to send his son to die, for you and for me. And on that cross, Jesus Christ paid for our sins. So the gospel is Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. The proof is he was buried and he rose again the third day, all according to the scriptures. On that cross, he cried out, it is finished. We know that that means that our sin debt penalty towards God was paid in full. Again, keep in mind, religion says Christ did his 90 percent, you have to do your ten. That's salvation by works. God says Christ did 100 percent, and therefore there's nothing left to do but put your faith in the one who died for your sins and rose again. So the Bible says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. Now notice, what tense is that? Past tense. Why? Because he's writing to believers. How were they saved? Through faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. Now, was that 50% saved? 60% saved? Well, no, 100% saved. Mm -hmm. By grace, you have been saved from hell through faith. And that salvation is not of yourself. It is the gift of God. It's not a reward for your works. It's not a reward for the righteous. It's a gift for the guilty paid for by Christ, received through faith. And it's not of works, lest anyone should boast. You know, I was talking to a gal just uh, a couple of days ago, and in the process I said to her, Let me ask you a question. What what do you think your chances are of going to heaven? College student? And she said, Well, about 85%. Mm-hmm. I said, Really? So tell me, if you were to go to the gates of heaven and Jesus said, Why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Because not everyone gets in, right? Right. So what do you have going for you? And she goes, Well. I'm a moral person. My parents gave me some very strong convictions. I've sought to live up to them, and in fact, I'm really quite proud of it. Well, in doing so, I then explained to her that heaven was holy without sin, that she'd have to be 100% perfect 100% of the time to make it, that there's this penalty for sin that has to be paid, but the good news is that Christ paid for it. He rose from the dead. He offers her eternal life, and it's by faith in him alone and she could know it, and it's not a work for her. Oops, sorry.
2: Oh my, let me just see here.
0: Let's take a quick break.
1: Do you want to dig deeper in your study of Reformed theology? The All of Life for God podcast, presented by Reformation Heritage Books, offers you weekly sermons, audiobook chapters, and interviews that will help strengthen your relationship with Jesus Christ. So, what are you waiting for? Just search All of Life for God wherever you get your podcast and start listening today.
0: Presented by Reformation Heritage Books. Oh, you're good. It's still up. Yep. Uh, I don't know what happened. We will await Pastor Dennis to come back in. Don't know what happened. Uh so I just seen Arrows um comment uh I think his sound was fine. I know in the beginning it was kind of muffled. Um so we're just going to pause and wait. Uh Pippa, thank you for joining. I already gave you some love in the beginning. Um I don't know what to say, which is crazy because I'm never at a loss of words. But what well, I would say is um, I'm looking at the time. So if you have any questions to what he's talking about now, feel free to start putting them in now in question form. Sandra, if you want to. There we go. Um, uh, thank you, Miss Southern Sunshine. I appreciate that. My skin is a hot mess. My rosacea is really inflamed. Big time. I mean my cheeks are rosy, everything. Here he comes. Oh my I was my. just a chit chatting while we were waiting on you. I was talking about my skin. I, I but I lost it. your PowerPoint. Okay, let's see how we do. So we it just up. need to do that. Share a screen, right? Uh yes. And then I will um there we go. Add to stage. Let's go ahead. And there we go. Excellent. Thank you. All so right. You. Pastor Dennis you. is back, guys. He's keeping us on our toes. There you go.
1: <laughs> so I asked her, I said, let me ask you, do you think people rely on their bad works to get to heaven or their good works? She said, oh, no, it's your good works. And so I said to her after I went through the gospel, I said, well, let me ask you a question. You said at the beginning you were 85% sure. She said, oh, no, I'm 100% I said, really? So why are you 100%? Why should Christ let you in? She said, because I believe he died for my sins, and my faith is 100% in him alone. Now, this was a gal who just earlier told me 85 because of her works, and she never even included Jesus Christ in the answer. And so Ephesians 2.8.9 is very important. Now, you might ask, well, where do good works fit in then if you're not saved by works? Again, you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And then as a believer in second ten salvation, as you walk by faith in the Lord, good works are the result. But they're not the res- means of salvation. They're not the means of maintaining salvation. They're the result of being saved and learning to walk with the Lord. And the Spirit of God produces good works in your life. You see, there's three basic approaches to salvation. One is simply you just got to be a good guy, and every good guy gets in. Well, mm-hmm. the Bible's very clear that's not true. But to him who does not work, but believes on him and justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. And then some include Christ into the equation, and they'll say, well, Christ did his part, but it's also your works. And the Bible's very clear, Romans 3:28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law? See, the answer is very clear. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household, period. Nothing more, nothing less. And that's why, you know, I labor as a pastor in clarifying the gospel in light of the confusion that is everywhere, it seems, So often, even in evangelical churches, they will say Jesus Christ is part of the picture, but they will say, to be saved, you need to ask Jesus into your heart, or you may need to get water baptized, or you need to repent from your sins, or you need to avoid big sins, or don't sin too much. (laughs) Some's allowable, but not too much. Hmm. You know, as I've said before, Kim, you know the difference between big sins and small sins. Big sins are the ones you do, small sins are the ones I do. Right. I'm like, I think they're all big, but that's. Yeah, (laughs) you're right. Of Of course. But you see, when you're understanding the gospel, you begin to realize it's not a matter of asking Jesus into my heart. It's not a matter of getting baptized. It's not a matter of repenting of my sins. It's not a matter of avoiding big sins. It's a matter of putting my faith in Jesus Christ and what he did alone and be saved from the penalty of sin. You say, well, what about asking Jesus into your heart? The fact is he comes in when you believe, just like the Holy Spirit. Secondly, what about water baptism? Well, it's only for believers to testify to others of their faith in Christ. It has a place. It just isn't a means of salvation or to maintain salvation. What about repenting from your sins? This also has a place for believers in second tense, which we'll look at. But for first tense, it involves a change of mind about him who died for our sins, changing your mind about Christ. Or avoid big sins and don't sin too much. Again, this is where salvation, second tense, is going to have a place. The Bible is very clear. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. And when you're saved, the Bible is clear. I give to them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand, for I and my father and our what? And so, you know, when I would talk to any person, the, the three or four foundational truths I really want them to understand is I want them to understand the gospel. Secondly, I want them to understand their eternal security. Thirdly, I want them to understand the three tenses. And fourthly, I'd want them to understand their position in Christ. These are all huge. And you see, if you understand the gospel correctly, you'll know you're saved. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. You see, you can know because it doesn't depend on you. It depends on Jesus Christ. and And that's why when listening to the gospel presented, ask yourself, who is the spotlight on? Is it on Jesus Christ or is it on you? Just listen to the preacher. Where's the spotlight? Is it on Christ or is it on what you must do? And I say that because so often the spotlight is really on you. So for the unbeliever, salvation is always in what tense? It's in a future tense because they've never been saved. But once they've been saved from sin's penalty, they're not going to hell. They're going to heaven. They've been forgiven. They have eternal life. They will never perish. Now, since they've been born again, we can move to number two, stage two, being saved from the power of sin. Now we can talk about how to grow. Now we can talk about how God wants to give us victory over sin in our life and how we can become more and more like Jesus Christ. And so as we think of that, 1 Timothy 4.16, Paul's writing to Timothy, says, take heed to yourself. Now, Timothy is a believer in Christ. In fact, he's a pastor. And to the doctrine or the teaching, continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Save from what? From the power of sin in your life. You see, it's the thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. So the word of God has a sanctifying effect on believers' life in making them holy because god when he saves us he doesn't want us to live in sin he wants to give us victory over sin he wants us to grow and become more and more like jesus christ that's what james is after in james 1 verse 19 so then my beloved brethren notice he's talking to believers let every man be swift to hear the word of god slow to speak slow to wrath for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of god therefore Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Notice there's a place for repenting from sin after you're saved. And receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to what? Save your souls. From what? The power of damaging effects of sin in your life. He's talking to believers who've been saved from hell. And now he's talking to them about how to have victory over sin in their Christian life. Here's another one. We see that when we're born again, God wants us to grow, just like you would want your children to grow. And a lot of the New Testament is written to that end. But it's also true that some believers don't grow as they ought, And as a result, are they saved? Yes, they are saved, but they're carnal believers who aren't growing in the Lord. Here's another verse. Let's see if we can figure out what tense it's in. Therefore, my beloved, As you, who's a beloved, a believer in Christ, have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you both to willing to do his good pleasure. Now notice, work out, not work for Hmm. your own salvation. Salvation from what? The power of sin. In other words, God has saved you. He's given you a position in Christ. He's given you the Holy Spirit. Now, allow those realities to get worked out in your life and saving you from the power of sin. For it's God who works in you both to will due to a new nature and to do through the Holy Spirit for His good pleasure. He's not talking about being saved from hell, they're already saved. He's talking about second-hand salvation. And then he says, do all things without complaining and disputing. You wouldn't say that to an unbeliever. That's not the issue. You'd say that to a believer that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain nor labored in vain. So it's very important, Kim, to distinguish between how to enter the family of God through being born again versus having fellowship with God day by day as a believer. The only way to enter the family of God is by faith in Jesus Christ. The moment we put our faith in him alone, we now enter the family of God. We are born again. We are children of God. We can know we have eternal life. We know where we're going. Now the question is, how are we going to live in the meantime? And this is where fellowship with God comes in. Just like when you are born physically into your family, you now have parents You will always be their child, but whether you'll have a good relationship with them or not <laughs> depends on how you're responding as you go through your day, and the same is true. You see, when it comes to fellowship, fellowship can be broken through sin. And when we're out of fellowship, we can live very miserable lives. For the mm-hmm. way of dressers is hard, the Bible says. Mm-hmm. In contrast, when we yield to the Lord or we confess we're wrong and we're walking by faith, we can have joy. We see John says, truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. There are believers who aren't enjoying their Christian life today because they're living out of fellowship with the Lord. And there are believers who are enjoying it. Depends on whether or not we're walking by faith. But keep in mind, we can never penetrate through that outer wall. You can never stop being a child of God any more than you could with your parents. Mm Stop being their child. Now, this leads us to salvation third tense, which is future. Either by death, absent from the body present with the Lord, or by rapture, which is (laughs)
0: what I would...
1: (laughs)
2: <laughs> right.
0: There is a generation that's not going to die, so I'm hoping we're it. <laughs> yep. Now, now look at this here, how all
1: three tenses can be found in one passage. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That's the grace that's offering salvation from hell. Teaching us, who's us? Believers now. That same grace teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. That's talking about being saved from the power of sin. While we are looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, which will save us from the very presence of sin, Mm -hmm. even so come Lord Jesus. Here's the three tenses again. Look at Romans 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith in the past, we have peace in the present with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through Christ also we have access, perfect tense in the past with the results continuing, by faith into this grace in which we presently stand, and we rejoice in hope. And hope always deals with the future of the glory of God. So notice he brings in all three tenses or phases again. This was a verse I looked at early on and there in Romans thirteen eleven, and do this in the present, Knowing the time that now, in the present, it is high time to wake out of sleep in the present. For now, in the present, our future salvation is nearer than when we first believed in the past.
2: Mm.
1: Notice all three tenses, phases, stages are being referred to in this passage. Here's another one, 1 Corinthians 3. He's writing to believers who were primarily carnal. And he says, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone in their life and ministry builds on this foundation of Christ, because they've been saved, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear the day of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work as a believer of what sort of quality it is. Now, the purpose of the judgment seat of Christ isn't to determine who goes to heaven or hell. It's only for believers. It's to determine who gets rewarded or not for faithfully growing and serving the Lord as a believer. Verse 14, option number one, if anyone's work which he has built on it, the foundation, endures, he will receive not a gift, but a reward. The gift is for everybody. Rewards are for faithful believers. Mm -hmm. Option number two, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. Loss of what? The reward he could have had. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. That's eternal security. Even if a person's life goes up in smoke because they didn't faithfully follow the Lord and walk with him as a believer, they still are saved. And they can never lose that salvation. And so we're looking again at the judgment seat of Christ where believers will be evaluated how they live their life from the day of their salvation to the day of their home going, going, and God will reward accordingly. And as a result, they will receive a crown, a crown of life or a crown of glory, a crown of righteousness. They'll, They'll receive praise and honor and glory, or they will not receive a reward, yet they still will be saved, yet so as through the fire. And so this is all part of glorification. It's future tense salvation occurs at death or at the rapture. The judgment seat doesn't occur at death. The glorification begins then, in which we're freed from the presence of sin. And so this is the next event. Notice on the left, these are the dead in Christ rising first. Those on the right, that we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord even comfort one another with these words. And so he would say in Revelation 2, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life, not the gift of life. Not talking about salvation, he's talking about a reward for faithfulness for
0: Jesus Christ.
1: Sorry, I forgot. I didn't know that I posted those right in there. So
0: You are totally fine. So, um Sandra, I'm going to star uh, Tony's question there too. I think we can kind of make it a question. So, I, great presentation there. I agree, um, but unfortunately, I think too. And I, I want to tread lightly, but I don't want to tread lightly. First of all, I'm not God. I don't sit on a throne. But let's let's um, call the the elephant in the room. Let's talk about Kat Von D. I'm very concerned about Miss Kat Von D because I truly don't hear the gospel or that she's saved. What I hear Kat saying is she had some type of epiphany with Jesus. She loves him, but yet she doesn't, she herself out of her own mouth claims that she's not a baby, but yet she posts vile, sickening things on her Instagram and she made it extremely clear that she will never use her Instagram to talk about Jesus. So all we saw was a little baptism from her. And then her little video about all you religious Christians, da, 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 da. But see, that's where I think, I I think I could speak for a lot of people as well on the chat because I get messages. So that is where I feel very, I understand it's belief through faith, but my whole question to all of that is, if somebody comes to faith and I'm using quotes for those listening to the podcast in Christ, right? They first have to have a recognition that they're a sinner, that they're in need of a savior. So I understand the belief part. I totally get that, but I feel like we're also missing the mark because they have this encounter experience, all of those new age Gnosticism buzzwords when it comes to Christ. And I don't think if you ask them what the gospel is or, what are you being saved from? So my question is, is why do these people even come to the Lord when literally from the moment they're supposedly saved for the rest of their life, they have zero change? So I get a carnal question. I get someone who comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and then say someone like me, prime example, other people, I'm sure in the chat as well. I'm living for the Lord, living for the Lord. And then I become carnal for many, many years coming back to the Lord every now and then. But even through that backslidden carnal state, I never, ever, ever admitted that I was a Christian because, well, I I knew I was a hypocrite. So that's my concern is how do you bro? Again, we're not God. I'm not saying that Kat Von D. I pray to the Lord that she saved. I personally think that it's a fake experience that her denial of jesus alone says in the bible if you deny me before men i will deny you before the father so she has this i love jesus but i'm still gonna release my demonic songs that's the problem i have with kat is because she's releasing things of darkness that are demonic it's not like she's releasing a song happy joy joy i'm drinking my cup of coffee it's it's crazy and I just I saw that too Vicky. I did but nowhere in there with her interview with Ali Beth Stuckey did they ever mention salvation that she mentioned that she's a born-again believer nowhere in that conversation so anyway I said all of that because that is where and again we're not God you're not God but how would you explain that Pastor Dennis when it comes to that because what are they being saved from would be the principle. Why would someone come to faith? It's not a simply just to get out of hell free card. So according to belief through faith, then I believe my friend Crystal went up at passion city. I believe she never walked with the Lord from that day forward. So that's what I'm saying. I feel like that area is great, but I also think it's a very easy believism gray area. So help me understand that. And again, you're not God. I'm not God. I wish Kat Von D is saved. I tend to think that, it's an experience. So what say you? And then we'll get to the three questions that we have.
1: Very good. Yeah. For, well, first of all, there's a lot of people who claim to be saved. I run into them all the time down here. But then mm. when you ask them why, it's clearly they're not saved. Their faith is in their works or their experience. or They went forward and said the sinner's prayer, but they don't understand the gospel. So one of the things you a person has to come to grips with is the fact that there's a lot of people who claim to be saved, but they're really not. But you see, the reason they're not saved is because they haven't put their faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done for them. It's not because of how they're living. You got to keep that clear because Mm -hmm. sometimes believers, we all still sin. And so it's not a matter of being a fruit inspector, as it were. It's a matter of wondering, is this person really saved? Does he understand the gospel? And if he does or she does, Then let's help them grow as believers, because believers don't always grow as they ought. In fact, most of the New Testament, especially the Epistles, isn't given over to how to be saved from hell. It's how to grow as a believer, you know, and and they need to be fed as a newborn babe. Desire the pure milk of the word that you might grow thereby. Now, I don't know this cat, Vondi, or whatever her name. I I have no idea who this person is. But I would say this again, there are many pseudo Christians that aren't really saved people. And we just have to come to grips with that. On the other hand, is it possible for a believer to get involved with the demonic? Well, yeah, he could. They shouldn't. They can't be indwelt by a demon, but they can be, or possessed by a demon, but they can be oppressed Mm -hmm. by demons. I'll give you an example. I believe King Saul in the Old Testament was clearly saved. The Holy Spirit came upon him, and Holy Spirit doesn't come upon unbelievers. Mm-hmm. And yet at the end of his life, he went and saw a, a soothsayer who brought up Samuel from the dead, as it were. And I do believe it was truly Samuel. Um, there's no reason to think it wasn't. I think the Lord allowed it to happen. The, the conversation went on, and so forth and so forth. So here is a believer who's in carnality who seeks answers and he goes to the occult to find it. Is that possible? Yeah, it is. Is it wrong? Absolutely. Yeah, but but I believe Saul is in heaven today because he had put his faith in the Lord, Jesus Christ. Well, not the Lord Jesus Christ, but the Lord in the Old Testament. Hmm. We'd understand that. The other thing is, and I think we touched on this last time, Kim, is enter, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now, what is the Father's will? To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Mm -hmm. And he will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Now, they're not doing demonic music. They're actually boasting in their religious experiences and their good works. And what does he say? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You see, they were trusting in their works and their experiences. That's not how you're saved. So one thing you Mm got to come to grips with, there's a lot of people claiming to be saved out there. I think if the rapture were to happen tomorrow, we would be very surprised at who didn't go up. Because there's a lot of people who claim to be Christians and saved, but they're not really saved. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, we might be surprised who did go up.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah I well, agree. You
1: know, like, oh, yeah. he got there, and they might be saying the same about you or me.
0: You know? I agree.
1: And so, uh, we're saved by grace. We're kept saved by grace. We're now to grow in grace. Mm-hmm. So the second ten salvation is a process with ups and downs, just like growth is.
0: I agree. So what I want to do is I just want to show you this really quick so you can kind of see. So as you can see, this is her. This is her Instagram, Pastor Dennis. Okay. Okay. This. Oh, there you go. There's the sound.
2: That
0: this is not someone if you scroll through her page. there's no way. I mean, I, I'm sorry, but that is not somebody who has a saving knowledge of who Jesus is. And I know I'm going to upset people and I probably will lose people and that's fine, but I'm not going to tread lightly when it comes to that, because she's an embarrassment to Jesus. I'm sorry, because that's not, that's not a true light She's showing people, whoever you want to be and just come to the Lord and Don't change at all. That's not the gospel.
1: Well, the gospel isn't about changing your life. The gospel is about changing your destiny first. Mm -hmm. From a hell you deserve to a heaven you don't. Once that's settled, now we can talk about how to grow. And that's building on the gospel. So we've got to always keep that clear, Kim. And your own testimony bears witness to that reality. Mm Mm-hmm. So if we were showing pictures of Kim here from a few years ago, there probably would be some pretty ones you probably would Yeah, want but to I'm
0: going to interrupt you on that, though. That's a huge difference though, Pastor Dennis. I never claimed to be a Christian. I never stood on Christ. She's saying I am a Christian while she's out there doing demonic things on her Instagram. That's the difference. When I was carnal, I never professed to be a believer. Never once did I ever say that I'm a Christian?
1: But from your own testimony, don't you believe you were a Christian? No. You weren't a Christian when you were younger, when you put your faith in text? Well,
0: okay. So you was I always saved? Absolutely. But okay. I would never okay. profess that I was going to heaven. I would well, be you... in the club saying, I'm going to hell with all y'all. Like, I never. Um, I always bring up the story about the rapture, um, about, you know, with my dog food and that the dog food sitting out. Um I, I guess inside myself, my spiritual man knew that I would be raptured because it never dawned on me. Well, uh, clearly I'm leaving because then who would be here to feed the dog? So I knew within my spiritual man that even though I was saying that, well, who, Kim, why do you have so much food? Well, in case the rapture happens, my dogs will at least eat and drink for a little bit. But I never put myself in the equation to feed my dog so even though i didn't verbally say it my ex-husband used to ask me that too and i'd be like yeah i believe in god but i would never profess to be a believer i would never do what she did
1: yeah and profess well, christ well uh, i'm guess when and putting together what you're saying to me mm-hmm. you had enough common sense in your carnality not to profess christ because of your own hypocrisy correct on the other hand, it's not as though you weren't saved. So we're making a distinction between salvation and being wise enough to not be hypocritical about how you're living. You know, And so that's a distinction you want to make. You're saying she's not saved because of how she's living. You're saying you were saved in spite of how you were living.
0: Yeah. But even through that, though, to be honest with you, I really never thought that I was saved because I was always told by my mom that I can't be living a life like that. So I would always question my salvation. It wasn't until I came back to the Lord 13 years ago that I realized, wait a second, I've been saved since five. I've never not been saved. But during that entire time of carnality, No, I I would honestly think that if the rapture were to happen or if I were to die, that in my flesh way of thinking, I would have been like, yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not going to heaven.
1: Yeah. Well, again, I do think, Kim, it is possible for someone to be saved and to lose the assurance of their salvation. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean they're not saved. In fact, these things have I written to you. Who? Who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. So -hmm. he's trying to give them absolute assurance of that reality. And one of the reasons why people lose assurance is because of carnality. Correct. Right. But they don't lose their salvation, but they can lose the assurance of their salvation. So I would certainly agree with that. And as far as this gal is concerned, you know, I don't know what to make of all of that. I don't Mm -hmm. know what you know, I, I don't know what she really believes. I did hear an interesting story recently in which um, someone told me a number of years ago, a pastor who I happen to know of ran into Elvis Presley, mm. which was interesting back in the 50s or 60s. And he said to Elvis, he said, "Elvis, tell me, if you're to die, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? He said, absolutely. Are you how sure? 100% sure. He said, why? He says, because I believe Jesus Christ died for my sin. He mm. said, really? So why don't you live like it? And Elvis Presley said, I just got so tired of all the legalistic rules in the church. I thought, no, that's kind of interesting. <laughs> um, can't a lot of there people you go. identify with that? Yeah. Can't they identify with all the legalistic rules of so many legalistic churches have turned off believers from the Lord? No excuse. mhm often it happens. Ken.
0: Agreed. And I just think what happens is, is when a celebrity, which half of them I think are fake, but when they, I, I just think everyone wants everyone to be a Christian. So they get all excited and they're all like, oh my gosh, they're a Christian. Chris Pratt is a Christian. Denzel Washington is a Christian. Well, Denzel believes in the wrong Jesus, first of all. Um, Chris Bratt wouldn't be doing sex scenes and doing Hollywood. So sooner or later, you just have to be, and maybe that's why a lot of people don't like me. And I'm totally okay with that because I feel like we, we lessen, we cheapen grace. As you said, in the beginning, we really do. And it's like, these people have, they just profess it with their mouths, but none of their lives from beginning to end emulate Christ. And I understand that just Vicki, maybe I should show cat a little, I forgot what you had said there. Encouragement, But out of her own mouth is what she said regarding, I will never talk about Jesus. This is not what this Instagram is about. And then she releases a disgusting vampire love song. I do not um, understand how someone can sit back and give that a thumbs up. I just don't. Everything about her Instagram is 100% demonic. But anyway, let's move on because it's, it's it's a tough topic. And I don't want to upset people um, any more than I already have. So let's get to the question, Sandra. Again, I'm just saying what I see. I, I think she she has a false she has a false idea of who Jesus is. So, question number one, Miss Sandra. This is coming in from Cindy Ray. So, my coworkers that tell me they have faith in Jesus but live 100% carnal, are they saved?
1: Okay. Well. First of all, do they truly have their faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done for them? Now, I say that because, again, um, here when I'm talking to people, there's all kinds of people that will say they're saved. But then when I bore down a little bit, well, why should Christ let you into heaven? They don't say, well, it's because he died for my sins and rose again and I trusted alone in him. They will say something they've done, which tells me they don't understand the gospel clearly if they've understood it at all. And so just because someone says they have faith in Jesus, you have to ask more questions. Ask them how sure are they? 100% sure they're going to heaven or not? And if so, why not? And if you listen closely, it's because they're adding works to the issue. And as a result, if if it's faith in Christ plus, then they still are not clear on the gospel. And that could be a reason why they're living in carnality.
0: Um, Okay. Uh, Sandra, next question, please. This is coming in from Val. Her question says, um, are there true believers caught up in churches that teach false doctrines who also embrace these doctrines because they aren't mature enough to discern?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, the Bible warns about that over and over again. It warns about being discerning. It warns about watching out for false teaching. Even in Acts chapter 20, when Paul's speaking to the Ephesian elders, he says, take heed to yourself and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to feed the flock of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For there's going to be individuals even among yourselves who are going to rise up speaking twisted things even among those Ephesian elders who had been taught by Paul himself, that possibility. So the possibility of false teaching coming over a pulpit is always a possibility. That's why we have to be Bereans. That's why we have to guard the gospel and guard the truths of the word of God. But unfortunately, I'm convinced there's people that are saved who lack discernment because the only way you're going to get discernment is by hearing clear teaching. And by hearing clear teaching, then you're able to listen to someone, compare it with Scripture, and come to correct conclusions. And God wants us to do that. That's why learning the Word of God, rightly divided, is so very, very important. I'm convinced there's all kinds of believers who think they're doing great things for Jesus, and they're really clueless about what they're swallowing. And it's not really found in the Word of God. And so, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They're not mature enough to discern. And unless they get under the teaching of the word of God, clearly explained, rightly divided, they're going to stay confused. And and, and Satan doesn't mind if you have
0: zeal. Just don't couple it with knowledge. <laughs> Agreed. So our it next question. Oh, yes, our yes. next. Go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: No, I just said thank you.
0: Our next question is uh, coming in from. uh Tonia, So I know what she's saying here, so I'm going to read it, I think, the way she wanted it to be read. So will we make it to heaven and not be rewarded?
1: Well, let's see what the Bible says. The Bible says, If anyone's work is burned, that he built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, he will suffer loss of reward but he himself will be saved yet so as through fire i didn't write it it's very clear so if someone doesn't live a godly life and doesn't have works worthy of reward will they still make it to heaven yeah because salvation is a gift that one receives at a point in time rewards are for believers yep yeah. that's really clear and it's clear in a lot of passages in the bible
0: I agree. All right. So we are done with that Q and a segment. So I guess we're going to move now into, um, Matthew. And let me just say this for those who know me, like literally know me outside of this podcast. So Sandra, we got Ren, Carly, a lot of people. Let me just explain why I have a passion for people. Um, and for Jesus, because I love the Lord and what he's done in my life. And I was a wayward child for 30 years. And I wasted so much of my time living carnal and living for the world. So don't confuse my passion for something like Kat Von D or Denzel or Chris Pratt, because they don't have a true knowledge of who Jesus is. And they're an embarrassment to my savior. So I, I come with passion and I know that those who don't personally know me do not understand. My life clip was just a tip of the iceberg of what I did in my carnal days. And for the rest of my days, until I die or fly, I am going to boldly, loudly, unashamedly help carnal believers stop doing what they're doing. Let's journey this together Let's encourage each other. But when it's a blatant continual disrespect and a black eye to my Savior, I'm sorry, I get a little passionate about that. So I just wanted to preface that, that I love the Lord with every ounce of my being, every ounce of my being, because he has been nothing but faithful even when I did not deserve it. His mercy through my 30 years of being carnal. I look back and I just see his hand. Of protection. And that is why I am the way that I am today. And I know I'm not everyone's cup of tea. I have said that time and time again, but I have a passion for my savior because I know what he did for me on Calvary. If I was the only person left on the planet, he would have hung on that cross and paid the penalty for my sin. So I I just I get passionate about that. And I I love him for what he's done. And I cannot wait just fall at the feet of my savior. So I don't come across rude. I wish Kat the best, but it is the love that Christ has given me. And I am a little bold when it comes to things like that. Absis absolutely, lotely, because I know what Jesus means to me, what he's done and what he can do, especially for a carnal Christian. Anyway, moving on to Matthew 24, before I cry.
1: Before we do, let me just mention for those who would like, um, there's on at the, uh, our church website here in Georgia is www.gracetruthbible.org, where all my messages can be heard that I'm presently preaching. Um, But for free literature, there's a, you go to www.gracegospelpress.org slash free downloads. And there's a number of them um, when it comes to this very issue. And we'll, uh, um, I And so you can pick this up. You'll see it in detail in writing what we're discussing today. And again, I go back now to another verse, which is one of what I call one of the proof tests, if the test to deci- determine whether someone understands salvation in context. It's Matthew 24 13. He that endures to the end shall be saved you've heard this verse time and time again. If you're really saved, you have to endure to the end. If you don't endure to the end, you're not going to heaven. You need to endure in faithfulness and holiness and whatever. That sounds really good, except that's not what the verse is about at all, (laughs) in the context. So let's see what the context is, okay? In Matthew 24, called the Olive Discourse, we read, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Surely I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? I want you to notice that, the sign of your coming. By the way, this has nothing to do with the rapture. This has to do with his coming to set up his kingdom in the context. It's not talking about the rapture of church-age believers. He doesn't discuss that for the very first time until a day and a half later in the upper room discourse in John 14 when he says that I go to prepare a place for you. So what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, Messiah, and will deceive many. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. The end of what? Well, in the context, the end of the age. He's answering their question. Now, what is he talking about? He's talking here about the end of the age when Christ returns right here. And he comes back to set up his millennial kingdom. So that's what he's talking about. We continue. Verse 7, for nation will rise against nation. And this will be true in the beginning of the tribulation. um, And kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows the beginning of birth pains, part of the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will wax cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved question, end of what? The end of the age. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about the end of your life. He's not talking about persevering in the faith so you make it to heaven. He's talking about the end of the age shall be saved. Now, I already showed you from scripture the word saved can be physical or spiritual. If it's physical, it can be individual or national. If it's spiritual, it can be first, second, or third tense, from the penalty, power, or presence. So what is he talking about? Well, let's read on. And this gospel of the kingdom, good news about the coming kingdom, will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the age, excuse me, and will come. The end of what? The end of the age. Okay? The age being the tribulation here. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Understand what? Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. The abomination of desolation is when the Antichrist walks into the then-built tribulational temple and declares himself to be God and demands universal worship. And it is at that time that now Satan is thrown out of heaven, Revelation 12. And he is angry at the Jews. And he has two choices. Either he can destroy Jesus Christ or destroy the nation that the promises of Jesus Christ have been made to regarding the kingdom. So he goes ruthlessly trying to kill every Jew and exterminate them. Kind of see what's going on over in the Middle East right now is a preview Mm -hmm. of coming attraction. Verse 16, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the house step not go down to take anything out of his house. In other words, you have to get out of town immediately. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing baby in those days because it's tough to travel under those conditions. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. Why? For then there will be great tribulation. Technically, the last three and a half years of the seven years, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. It'll be the worst time that planet Earth has ever experienced is the last three and a half years of the seven year tribulation. And unless those days were shortened, that second half to 360 days or three and a half years, no flesh or human beings would be saved. Say what? Physically. In other words, all life would be exterminated, terminated from the planet if the Lord allowed these times to go beyond that time limit. Hmm. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Why? So they can enter the millennial phase of the kingdom on earth that Jesus Christ came to set up. And so what happens is when Jesus Christ returns at his second coming, he destroys the armies of the Antichrist. He sets up his throne in Jerusalem. And those who survive the tribulation will enter into that kingdom with non-glorified bodies and the ability to reproduce, and they will. There will also be the resurrection of Old Testament saints to enter into the kingdom. They also will be church-age saints who come back with the Lord Jesus Christ to rule and reign in the kingdom with glorified bodies already. But the salvation spoken of here has nothing to do with, unless those days were shortened to 360 days, no human beings would be saved from hell. That's not what it's talking about. Hmm. It's talking about physically. So this is a classic example of a verse taken out of its context. That they that endure to the end shall be saved. The end of your life, you need to endure, or you're not going to heaven. That has nothing to do with this passage.
2: Okay.
0: Amen. I agree. And there's a lot of people, um, I don't want to lump all Calvinists into the one neo-Calvinist, because they're they're I think they're <laughs> they're kind of the worst. Um, but there are Calvinists um, you know, who I know are going to heaven. Um so But a lot of Calvinists, and correct me if I'm wrong, Pastor, but I think a lot of Calvinists misinterpret that part because that's how they get the P of their tulip, is the perseverance of the saints. Is that correct?
1: That's true. Yeah, a lot of Calvinists misuse that verse. Now, there are Calvinists who are dispensational in their eschatology and therefore would believe, like I just explained, and as a result, they would understand normally that verse in its context but that's not true of the majority of those in reformed theology.
0: Correct. Um, so Sandra, I kind of took over there for a minute, um, just so people can get their questions ready after that segment. Um, that is very true. Um, and so keeping all of that in context when you, cause there's other verses like that in the Bible where it's persevering to the end. So that one, you can give a clear, concise answer. You know, it, it's clear as day. But what about the other ones that are challenging like that, that have that kind of persevering to the end? How, how would you navigate those?
1: Yeah, well, I believe the Bible teach, encourages perseverance for belief. Mm-hmm. It commends perseverance for belief. It even commands perseverance for belief. But it doesn't guarantee that all believers will persevere and and it rewards perseverance for believers
2: mm. in
1: fact i'll give you one example of that is in first peter chapter 1 where peter is referring to those who have been born again verse 3 and he says they have been begotten to a li- living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you Who are kept by the power of god through faith that's how we entered into for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time in this you greatly rejoice in this salvation you greatly rejoice though now for a little while if need be you've been grieved by various trials that the genuineness or the refining of your faith is the idea being much more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so what he's saying here is he's saying that what their experiences is is, defi- is designed to refine their faith so that one day the Lord would reward them. And the reward he mentions here is praise and honor and glory. Like hearing well done, the good and faithful servant. Or as we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it would be the case of a reward or a crown or praise, things of that nature. Hmm. Those are for believers who are eternally secure, who are willing to endure, persevere and go through the trial and let their faith be refined by it. You can't refine a faith you don't have. Yeah. So they're, And they're clearly believers. So, so that's where perseverance comes in.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I do believe in perseverance. I mean, there is, I 100% um, agree with that. So we have one question. It's kind of not on the topic, but we're gonna put it up there anyway. So uh, because I like the question. So thank you, Sally. Um, She's asking, can you have Dennis explain that Matthew 24, 36 through 44 is not about the rapture, but about the second coming. Are you okay to be off topic just for a few minutes? No, no, no. no. That's just later in the same passage. I'll just make some broad
1: brush statements about it. Uh, Number one, it's clearly not the rapture. In fact, Jesus Christ doesn't even introduce the rapture till John 14. In, in In the Olivet Discourse, he's explaining to Israel the essence of, I'm leaving, but I will see you later. I will come again. And here's the sign I'm going to give you. And when I do, I will set up my kingdom because I always keep my promises. Now, the two in the field, one is taken, the other left. That whole series of statements that are made are like in the days of Noah. And in the days of Noah, who was taken? The wicked. And who was left? Noah and the righteous. Mm -hmm. Well, In the same way, when the Lord Jesus comes again at his second coming, Who's taken? All the unsaved off the earth. And they are actually, according to Matthew 25, 41, and then 46, experience everlasting punishment. And then the righteous go into the kingdom. It's also mentioned in Matthew 25 when he says, to those on the right, blessed are you, da, 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 and those on the left, cursed are you. And so in the context, he's not referring to the rapture, He's not making reference to the church. Remember, the church was not in existence at this time. It had been predicted in Matthew 16, 18. I will, future tense, build my church. and the, But that would be predicated on his death and resurrection and ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit, who then would baptize or place believers into the body of Christ. Now, in the upper room discourse of John 13 through 17, he then introduces he's going to leave. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised from the dead. I'm going to so forth, so forth, and uh, such. And now he makes reference to the first time to the rapture, because now he's anticipating the church that would begin in a matter of days after his death and resurrection. And so I would make that distinction based on context.
0: Amen. Amen. Well, we don't have any other questions regarding what you just discussed on Matthew. So why don't we move into James? Let me get us set up here. I'll tee us up here again. Um, So now we're going to dive into um, James chapter two and here we go. So don't forget guys, while he's talking, get your questions ready and Sandra will start those if you have any.
1: Very good. Yes. James chapter two is one of those verses verses that, I call Beatles hermeneutics. You twist and shout. You twist it out of context and yell loudly. You know, or Chubby Checkers hermeneutics, let's twist again like we did last sermon. So in James chapter two, you see verses, Faith while works is dead, being alone, or can faith save him? And people disregard context and they try to say this about James two, that what James is trying to discern is whether or not, These people are saved or not, and and the proof will be their works. And if they have works, then they will be, they're truly saved. If they don't have these works, then they're truly not saved. And as a result, they will say, comments like this, faith alone saves, but genuine faith is never alone. Well, if that's true, that's an oxymoron. And there's no such thing as faith ever being alone. So let's go to James and let's understand context again. Is the book of James written to believers about sanctification issues or to unbelievers about justification before God? Is it about first tense or second tense? Is he writing to unbelievers or believers? He's clearly writing to believers only. Now let's establish that in James chapter 1. We read in verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Questions, what does he call them? Brethren, what are brethren? People that are part of the family of God. What's being tested? Your faith. In order to be have faith tested, you have to have faith to test it. And so the trials they're going through is to test or refine their faith. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect or mature and complete, lacking nothing. So we see he's writing to believers. Verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation or trials, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Notice this is that perseverance issue again, Kim, in which God then rewards Believers who persevere. But he's talking to believers. In verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Talking to believers. Verse 19, so then my beloved brethren. Talking to believers. Chapter 2, verse 1, my brethren. Talking to believers. Verse 5, listen, my beloved brethren. Chapter 3, verse 1, my brethren. I mean, how many times does he have to say, my brethren, before we understand he's addressing people who are part of the family of God? And that's why in chapter 1, verse 18, he says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Brought us forth means we were born again. How? By the will of God, using the word of God in our lives. So this is the only verse that I can find in the book. Of James that directly addresses first tense salvation by them being born again. Every other verse is talking about second tense as he's writing to believers. And context is very, very important. In fact, he says in James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, brethren, I'm talking to unbelievers about how to be saved from hell. If anyone among you wanders from the truth, is it possible for a believer to wander from the truth? Yeah. And someone turns them back. Turns them back to what? The truth. So they get back in fellowship with the Lord. Let him know that he who turns a sinner, who's a brethren, from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Now he's talking to believers. What kind of death is he saving a soul from death? What does that mean? Well, I don't think it's talking about physical death here, or there would be a lot of funerals going on. (laughs) Um, I, I think he's talking about what I call temporal death. In other words, living out of fellowship with the Lord. The very thing he addresses in chapter one, when he says, let no man say, verse 13, when I am tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desire and enticed. And when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Death is a death-like existence. Uh, Romans 8, verse 9 says, to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And so he's writing to believers, okay? He's writing about salvation, second tense issues. Now that's really important. He's not talking about how to get saved from hell. He's not talking about going to heaven. He's talking about how to live in the meantime. Okay? And again, we brought that verse in. So then, my beloved brother, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, why does he say that? Because these believers in the context, they were being defrauded, chapter five, of wages that they should have been paid. They were being brought to court, chapter two, and there was a number of other issues that were going on. And he says, so I want you to be quick to hear. I want you to be slow to speak. I want you to be slow to react in wrath, because when you react in anger, it doesn't come out in the righteous thing to do. Mm -hmm. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls from what? From the power of sin, from the damaging effects of sin that are going to happen if you don't listen to what I have to say, (laughs) is what James is basically saying. So what is the issue that James is addressing in this passage? Is it good works as a proof of initial saving faith? Or is it the genuineness of an ongoing sanctifying faith in the Christian life that manifests itself in profitable and beneficial good works to others in need? Now, notice what he says in chapter one and verse 22 now. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving Mm yourselves. So what does he want? He wants you to not only know the Word of God, he wants you to apply it in your life, okay? Be doers of the Word. So his emphasis throughout is he wants the Word of God to be applied in your life as you're walking by faith as a believer so that it issues out in a righteous life that does the will of God. And this is what I was saying earlier, Kim, that the majority of the New Testament is written to believers in order to teach them how to live a godly life now that they've been saved, to enjoy second-tenth salvation and to let their life count, which you express how oh, that is your great desire and that is mine as well. Mm-hmm. So James chapter two, verse 14, what does it profit my brethren? Now, what's the first cue that you should see there? He's talking to believers and he's talking about prophets. Something that's beneficial. If third-class condition, someone says, and he might or might not, he has faith, but he does not have works, can faith save him? Okay, now we have to ask ourselves, what does that word save mean? Question we have to ask, what's the context? Who is he writing to? Is he talking about being saved from hell? No, because they're brethren. Is he talking about... being saved from the presence of sin one day? No, he's talking about how they're living their life now. Talking about second-tenth salvation. Now that's reinforced in verse 15. If a brother or sister, now brother or sister means a fellow believer, Mm -hmm. naked and destitute of daily food. and one of these says, says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body What does it profit? See the word profit here? See the word profit here? In other words, how does your faith benefit them? And the answer is, it doesn't. It doesn't benefit them unless it's applied in a way that results in good works. Verse 17, thus also faith by itself, if if third-class condition, if faith does not have works, is dead. Now, let's clarify the word dead again. The word dead in the Bible never means non-existent. It always means a sense of separation. So when one dies physically, do you cease to exist? No. But your soul and spirit are separated from your body. That's what happens. Mm -hmm. Um, If someone dies eternally, they're separated from God forever and ever and ever. If we were to say, here's my cell phone, my cell phone is dead, would we say it doesn't exist? Or would we say it's not working like it should? (laughs) It's not benefiting me or someone else. It's there, but there's no benefit to it. That's what he's saying. He's not denying that they haven't placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying that in your second tense salvation, in living your Christian life from day to day, in your practical sanctification, if you don't live by faith, now that you've been saved by faith, and if that doesn't issue out in good works to benefit other believers in this case, then your faith doesn't reach its intended objective, Relative to helping someone else. It's dead. It's separate. Now, how do we respond to the statement, faith alone saves, with genuine faith is never alone? Well, it's interesting because if you look at the different translations like Darby, so also faith, if it has not works, is dead by itself. I thought faith could never be by itself. Faith alone stays with genuine faith is never alone. Well, the Bible actually says the opposite. That it can be by itself. The ESV says so also faith by itself, it doesn't have works as dead. So it does exist. It's just not functioning, profiting as it ought. The King James says the same thing, even so faith that has not works as dead being alone. Oh, faith can be alone, yeah, because that's all it takes to be saved from hell. But when it comes to your Christian life, you have to now learn to walk by faith mm-hmm. And that will issue out in works. Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. New American Standard. Net Bible. So also faith, if it does not have works, is dead, being by itself. New King James. That's also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So all these verse translations all admit that faith can exist by itself, but it's not benefiting anyone else when it's simply by itself. Does dead or death ever mean non-existence? If not, what does it mean? And again, what does it mean? We see here, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, the way we express our faith to others is by our words or by our works. You believe that there's one God, you do well, even the demons believe and tremble. Now, Kim, this is a classic example of another verse taken out of context. I'll hear people say, oh, you know, they just have demon faith. You know, they just believe in God, but that doesn't mean they're saved. Well, first of all, demons can't be saved. Right. (laughs) Number two. He says, you believe there's one God, you do well, even the demons believe, and they know enough to tremble. His point is simply, the demons believe in God to the point that they tremble. You claim to believe in Christ, what's being shown in your life? That's his point. In other words, it's not issuing out in the works at all. So is James referring to justification before God? Or is he talking about being justified before men? Well, let's read verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. I will show you my faith by my works. Verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Now, if you know your Bible, you know Genesis 15, 6 claims or declares Abraham believed in the Lord and was counted to him for righteousness. Mm -hmm. Years later, he offered Isaac on the altar. So in what way was he justified? Well, not before God, because that was already settled. He was justified before people by a faith that issued out in obedience and even being willing to offer his son. And as a result, to this day, in Islam, in Judaism, and Christianity, Abraham is esteemed by virtue of how his faith expressed itself in works. We know he wasn't justified before God on that basis. For what then shall we say that Abraham, our father, is found according to the flesh? For if Abraham were justified by works and he wasn't, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Verse 22, do you see? Not does God see. Because he doesn't need to see works to know you have faith. Amen. Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect or perfected or matured, And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God. It was counted unto for righteousness. That's before God. And he was called the friend of God. You know, where was he ever called the friend of God? Well, it was really tied to Genesis 18 when he came and he showed his faith to the three visitors that came, and two of them were angels, and one was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And the two angels were gonna make their way to Sodom and Gomorrah and destroy those cities. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only, question in whose eyes do you see? Before men. Mm -hmm. And so it's partly ties into what you were saying earlier, really. That if one does not live a godly life after they're saved, they could be justified before God, but they're not justified before man. And people will not declare them righteous. They may they will reject that maybe they're even a Christian. And they could be. On the other hand, like I shared earlier, um, there's a lot of people out there that claim to be saved and I don't believe they are. Because they've never really trusted in Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. So let's... Example number two, we move from a patriarch to a prostitute. Verse 25, likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Now, was Rahab a believer? Yeah, she was. We know that mm-hmm. from Joshua chapter 7. She's even named in Hebrews 11 in the Hall of Fame of Faith. But how did she show her faith to the spies? By hiding them and sending them out another way. That isn't her point of justification before God. That was her point of justification before men. Hmm. Faith now showed itself by these works. For as the body without the spirit is dead or separated, so faith without works is dead or separated from its intended objective of being profitable to other people and thus bringing glory to God. And so what salvation is he talking about in second tense? Let's go back one here. (laughs) He is talking about second tense, salvation issues. He's not talking about going to hell. And he's not talking about the fact that if you're really saved, you will have works. Um, Question, how many works? In what area? How often? What if someone gets saved on their deathbed? How many works do they have? He's not talking about that. He's not talking about finding assurance in your works or in your walk. Mm -hmm. The assurance is found in the finished work of Christ and the promises of God. But he is talking about letting your life be one of living by faith for the Lord who saved you and through the power of the Holy Spirit, living in a way that's godly, righteous, filled with good works, that then would show your faith to others in ways that would be a testimony to them and a benefit to them. That's what James is after. And
0: unfortunately, that is seldom explained. Hmm. Okay. I agree. And um, really, we only have the one question, but it's off topic um, regarding that. So I'm glad you clarified that with James because a lot of people that I've heard Um, will bring up works as a part of salvation. Um, And I don't have time for all that. I don't have time to work for my salvation. It's just exhausting. So um, I'm really, I'm glad that that was part of it. Absolutely. So we
1: mm have... If Jesus says it's finished, what work is left to do for your salvation? Correct. Obviously not.
0: Right. And speaking of it is finished, many, I know, Word of Faith... Uh, a lot of new apostolic reformation, they will, um, which is so confusing, I think it's borderline blasphemic, but will claim that Jesus actually finished everything in hell and he didn't finish it on the cross. So I'm like, "Mm, yeah, no, when he said it is finished, a lot of people think that Jesus went to hell. So that's where he actually, I guess, continued to pay for the penalty of sin. Or as Joyce Myers clearly says, that the demons were jumping on his back. Yeah, that's heresy. Oh, absolutely. Uh, And and in addition, here's another
1: verse that would disprove that. He says, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Hmm. It's on the tree he bore (laughs) our sins. Amen. Not later in Hades being tortured by Satan and the demons. Correct. That is just horrifically heretical.
0: Absolutely. And I can understand like for someone who's a new Christian reading that passage, I could see where there is some confusion because it does say that he went to the lower parts. But, uh, you know, that's Abraham's bosom. Right. So it was like he didn't go to hell. He went to the blessing side, not the hell side. side. Right. So but people just have to continue to properly exegete that and then they'll come to the correct conclusion, you know, or listen to Joyce Myers or the others who say it.
1: Kenneth yeah, and, just, and just remember the Bible correctly understood never contradicts itself. So if it's finished. And if the Bible says that he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Then as a result, you know, that that other kind of interpretation is. bogus.
0: Absolutely. So we do have a question coming in. Let's put Okie girl up first, Sandra, um, since that's kind of on topic. So Okie girl, she says, if you stray, actually, let me, oh, Sandra, thank you. If you stray from Jesus, but still do a lot of good things during that time and come back to Jesus, to those things you did good while straying, will that count towards rewards? Good question.
1: Good question. Yeah. Well, I would say this, that as a believer or as an unbeliever, do unbelievers do, quote, good things? And the answer is yeah. How do you know that? Well, Isaiah 64, 6. We are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. So he distinguishes between our righteousness and and, and iniquities. Now, our righteousness are things that are done through the flesh. They're done through our own power and strength. They are to glorify ourselves. They're not done... For the Lord, to the Lord, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, an unbeliever can't have any works that really God will reward because they're not saved yet. As a result, when you get saved, even the works you do after you're saved, if you're not in fellowship with the Lord and walking so that you're doing it as unto the Lord through his power, that's the wood, hay, and straw that gets burnt. So, quote good works done through the power of this flesh is just as unacceptable before you're saved than after you're saved. Now, I say that because churches don't understand this. And as a result, You know, if you get somebody who's got a lot of religious hustle and they're willing to do this and so forth, so forth, you know, they get saved and they're excited, da-da-da, they're going to make them a deacon in six months because we got a live one. We haven't had one of those for a while. And as a result, (laughs) now let's keep them busy. And people think because they're busy that they're going to get rewarded. Well, not necessarily, Mm -hmm. because you see, Jesus said, abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Except that abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I am. The same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Mm-hmm. And so you see, it's as we're abiding in Christ, that he produces this fruit, including good works, through us. Mm-hmm. Very important to distinguish that. And that's something you have to learn as a believer. And that's, again, the importance of being under good, sound teaching. Where you can make those distinctions and understand them. But Mm I would say this you don't have to go back and look back and regret and say, man, I blew it. You know, I'll never make up that time, da, 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 da. No, that's not the way to look at it. You need to forget those things that are behind and reach forth until those things that are before. You need to realize this is the day the Lord has made. You know, the prodigal son, when he came home, he was restored to fellowship with Mm -hmm. his father, never stopped being a son. And he was now had all the privileges of sonship so that he could enjoy what he was doing and make the most of from that point mm-hmm. forward. And that's how you have to approach it. And, you know, at the end of the day, the Lord will figure it all out. and he will reward Absolutely. Yeah. You know? And so, and, and the Lord is awfully gracious. He's mm-hmm. And he Absolutely. really wants to reward us. You know, just like you would like to reward your children when they obey. He wants to reward us as well. Amen. And we walk by faith and do His will through the power of the Spirit for His mm-hmm. glory. He will reward us, and it will be worth it all when we see Jesus Christ.
0: Amen. So another good question coming in from Ren. She asks, what is the simplest way of explaining the gospel to someone who believes in God but doesn't really understand the gospel? Yeah, great question. Great,
1: great question, yeah. Uh, in fact, I would explain it simply like this. You remember the story of Nicodemus? You know, remember he was a religious leader, right? Did he believe in God? Yes. Yeah. Was he born again? Nope. Not at the moment when he was talking. <laughs> he did get born again later, I believe. He did. But Jesus said to him, "You must be born again." Because and now, did he believe in God? Well, we know that you are a prophet, come from God, for no one can do the miracles that you do except God. Be with them. John 3, verse 2, God was with them. So they believed God was with Jesus, but did they believe he was God? Do they believe he could save them? Did they believe he was the Messiah? Did they put their faith in him alone? No. So, Wren, this is the way I give the gospel, like I did to this gal the other day who was religious, but not saved. Remember, I said, woods are filled with religious people that aren't saved. They'll say they believe in Jesus. But if you bore down further, you'll find out their faith is not in Christ alone and his work alone. They're adding works to the picture. So I like to explain it simply this way. I go over a simple bad news, good news approach. And I just explain again how God is holy, that heaven is holy, it's without sin, and that God gave us the law, the Ten Commandments, gave Israel the law. To show us how holy he is and how sinful we are, so that we would see the penalty for sin is death and we deserve it. No one is good enough to go to heaven. But the good news is that God loves us in spite of our sin. And Jesus Christ was sent by God, being God who became a man, to die and pay the penalty. And when on the cross he died, he paid for our sins. And on the third day he rose again. To give eternal life, but by simple faith in Him alone, and so I take verses like John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life, mm-hmm. and I use those as kind of baseboards to explain what I just shared with you, and that the moment you put your faith in Christ alone, you remember the girl; she was eighty five percent sure why because i'm a moral person i'm this now if i would have asked you do you believe in jesus what do you think she would have said absolutely yes. mm-hmm. but was her faith in christ alone yeah no she didn't even mention it for the reason to get in mm-hmm. right but she wouldn't believe if i would have said do you believe jesus died for your sins she probably would have said yes mm-hmm. she didn't understand what i didn't understand before i was saved the significance of what Christ did on that cross. Yeah. He died. He was dying for me. And he Mm -hmm. paid for all of my sins. Yeah. So that the church could not atone for my sins. My water baptism couldn't wash away my sins. My good works could never pay for my sins. It's finished. Yeah. was paid in full. He rose from the dead to offer me salvation as a free gift. Mm. what you have to do, again, is just ask some questions. And so I oftentimes, when they're like at 85%, I like to say to them, would you like to be at 100%? Mm-hmm. And they, who will say, no, I don't want to be. <laughs> I mean, they all say, oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. I'm good.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and I will explain to them how they can be 100%. And I'll tell you, verses like even First John 5.13, which I put up earlier, these things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you yeah. can know you have eternal life. Like with the girl the other day, I said, no. I said, is that 50% No, you have eternal life? 60%? Yeah. She said, oh, no, 100%. And I noticed the word have. When you have something, what does that mean? Is that past, present, or future? She says it's present. It means right now. You have what? Eternal life. How long does mm. that well, forever, if you have eternal life, could you know it then? Yeah. Yes, as long as it doesn't depend on your works to get it or to keep it. But if it depends on your works, you'll never know unless you're arrogant enough to think that your mm-hmm. spiritual average is cutting it. And the fact is it's not. That's why Jesus saves, and that's why Jesus keeps you safe. Absolutely. So I've illustration which I've used before on this program, but it's a good one. That resonates with people. Imagine again that you are drowning and you've reached a point when you give up all hope of saving yourself. And there is an EMT or a lifeguard that is willing to save you. You put your faith in him or her. She drags you to shore and you're on the shore. Can you rightfully say, I have been saved from drowning? Yes. Yes. Past tense. I have been saved from drowning. Okay. Okay. Now, does it matter how you feel? No, you might feel pretty rotten at the moment.
2: You're <laughs> a little out lot of breath.
1: Yeah, a lot of <laughs> breath. I mean, you might be really glad I got saved from drowning. Or you might got really mad that why did that happen to me? But it doesn't matter. What matters is the fact is you were saved. Mm-hmm. Does it matter if you know the date? No. No, because I don't. <laughs> the issue isn't do you know the date any more than do you have to know the exact date that you were – born again no I can tell you I think within a month that when I was saved, some people don't especially when they're raised in Christian homes sometimes they don't know that exact date. And so let's just say that person who was saved from drowning who has a hundred percent assurance they've been saved from drowning, they make a bad decision three days later. What does that mean? It means they were saved from drowning, and three days later, they made a bad decision. They made
0: a bad decision.
1: <laughs> That's what means. And in the same way, the three tenses of salvation correspond with life. You're born again at a point in time. You will die at a point in time, and you will live your life in between. In the same way, you're saved from the penalty of sin. One day, you'll be saved from the powers a, pen, a presence of sin. In the meantime, you have the opportunity to be saved. From the power of sin, mm-hmm. the assurance of one's salvation does not depend on how I'm doing here any more than this person saved from drowning. Yeah, he was assured he was saved even though he made a bad decision three days later. Let's mm-hmm. say he made a whole bunch of bad decisions two weeks later, mm-hmm. you know, he was saved and made a whole bunch of bad decisions later. But it doesn't deny that he was saved. Let's say three mm-hmm. months from then, he began to question, was I ever really saved from drowning? You know what? Mm-hmm. He was saved from drowning, and he began to question it. Three, mm-hmm. But it doesn't deny he was saved from drowning. Right. same is true with a believer. Amen. a simple illustration, but it really corresponds to what the Bible
0: says. Agreed. So we have another question coming in from Good Breakfast, and they want to know, (laughs) how did you come to salvation, Pastor Dennis? Oh, yeah. Great question. Yeah. Well, um, I was raised in a religious home, Roman Catholic.
1: Uh, I was an altar boy, a scripture reader. My cousin's a priest. My aunt was a nun. My sister worked for the bishop. I went to church every Sunday. And as a teenager, I went to church on Sunday to try to make up for what I was doing on Saturday night you know, and as a result, I was hoping my good would outweigh my bad, but as a teenager, my bad was greatly outweighing my good, yeah. and I had no assurance of going to heaven, because you never do when you think you have to earn it, and what happened was, when I was 16 years old, an individual, my closest friend, who happened to be a believer, but wasn't living like it, uh, gave me the gospel, Wow. said, one night, and explained to me, how I could be saved. He knew he was saved, but he wasn't living for the Lord. And he was convicted that he had never witnessed to his best friend. And as a result, he gave me the gospel that night. And that night, I tried to get saved. I had never heard the word saved in my life, because back in the 1970s, that was 1970 when that happened, the word saved was not commonplace. <laughs> you know, born again really wasn't commonplace. This was right. new. And you'd never have heard that in a Catholic church, per se, unless they thought you were born again at water baptism. And so as a result, he didn't really talk to me again. And we kind of went on our merry way until um, uh, April of 1973. I was going to graduate in May. And I began to think long and hard about my life. I had scholarships to play sports in college. Um, And I, you know, was projecting down the road. And for some reason, I had this real um, heaviness, uneasiness about where I was going to spend eternity.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I already knew at 16, I can remember laying on my bed one night, one afternoon, actually. It was around the 4th of July. I had friends that were doing uh, coke. They were doing drugs. I had others that were partying. I had others that were... That were uh, the honor all students, all of the above. I kind of hung out with them all. And I remember laying on my bed thinking, is this the best life gift that I've experienced? This is what the best gift. This is the pits. You know, there's gotta mm-hmm. be something more. And so I was always kind of open to spiritual things. So when I was 18 there, about to graduate, my friend Dan talked to me again. He mm-hmm. started talking about Jesus Christ. And it was there for the first time in my life. I understood. That Jesus Christ died for me. And that He paid for all of my sins and rose again to save me.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: I trusted in Him and I was saved. But you know, though I was saved and I knew I was going to heaven, for the first few months I was like, I'll see you in heaven, I got plans. <laughs> and guess mm-hmm. what? I fell on my face, and I wasn't acting like a believer. In fact, I had an unbeliever tell me. Mm. You know, Rocky, if you're a Christian, you sure don't live like one. Mm. And I was convicted. Mm-hmm. Because I had become a believer, but I was not living like a believer. Yeah. I was just a babe in Christ in my diapers spiritually. I didn't have a clue how to live the Christian life because you don't learn the Bible in the Catholic
2: Church. Mm-hmm.
1: And as a an result, it just so happened my friend, Danny, he lived... Houses away from a very sound, grace-oriented Bible teaching church. And he started to walk with the Lord about a week after I did. Mm. And he took me out to church. And I started to hear the word of
2: God.
1: Yeah. Like I'd never heard it before. And and a lot of truths went over my mind, and my head at first, because I didn't have a Bible background. But pretty soon I caught on more. And I love talking with people before after church about the Lord and started hanging out with believers. And I made a very clear decision when I decided to live for the Lord that I was going to make a break from the bar scene Mm -hmm. because I knew I couldn't coexist. I would be drugged down. I wasn't going to honor the Lord in that whole scenario, so I did. And my my friends began to think I was so young to have lost my mind that I had gotten, quote, religion, and he's become religious. Well, I really Mm -hmm. didn't have religion. I, I came to Christ. I had religion. I can that for a relationship, and so then I began to grow as a believer. And as I grew, the more I learned to the Word of God, the more I wanted to learn. The more I shared my faith with others, was I still stumbling around in a lot of ways? Yeah, was I still sinning? Yeah, I would still sin every day. Like I still sin every day,
2: mm-hmm. either
1: mission or commission. You know, yeah. But but God was bringing me along, and in my understanding and. And I had no plans on being a pastor, but eventually had the opportunity to teach the word of God. And now it's been forty plus years that I've been involved in oh. ministry. And, yeah. and even though I believe in salvation by grace and I believe in eternal security, and I teach positional truth, which maybe I'll do next time if Kim graciously invites me back. Of course. In doing so, um, I'm all for believers living godly lives. Mm. I'm all fruitful believers, we all want fruitful believers, but the answer isn't causing them to constantly question their salvation and how much Mm -hmm. they have in their life. It's to focus on Jesus Christ to settle. They know they're saved forever and they'll get about learning who they are in Christ and how to live by faith. in the Mm -hmm. son of God who loved them and gave himself for them so that they can live a life that's truly fruitful and honoring Him.
0: Amen. So you got time for two more questions and then we're going to close it. So you could just put uh, Sandra in the chat that questions are not closed. So you got, you're good for two more. Yeah. All right. So this one's coming in from Becky off topic. Do you think it will be quote business as usual end quote when the rapture happens? Good question.
1: Yeah. I would say, first of all, it's going to be amazingly um, unsettling. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be all kinds of crashes and things, people gone, and all kinds of question marks. I personally think that Satan, he's wise. And he's had a lot of times to think about how to um, explain away the rapture. Uh, I think UFOs can play into that because I don't believe in unidentified uh, aliens, per se. Mm-hmm. I don't find that in the Bible. I think it's demonic activity at times. Um, secondly, I think a lot of people will be in church the day after, the Sunday after the rapture. Absolutely. Yeah, they'll be in church and they'll actually maybe be taught Matthew 24, two are in the field, one taken, the other left to go into the kingdom. Yeah. And that they're actually, this was ways of God getting rid of these troublemaker Christians so that you now can enter into the kingdom. And we know that the tribulation doesn't begin necessarily the day of the rapture. It technically begins with the signing of the peace treaty, Mm -hmm. according to Daniel 9, with the Antichrist representing the revived Roman Empire signing a peace treaty with Israel to protect them from the Islamic armies and so forth. So there could be some time delay in between. I don't think it'll be a long Mm -hmm. time delay, but I do think, again, that there'll be a lot of people in church after the rapture. Um, I do think, though, that after things settle down, it'll be business as usual. Mm. And I think that's what Jesus is partly saying, even in Matthew 24. They'll be given to marriage and so forth and so forth. Life goes on. And by the way, have you noticed, for what it's worth, if you've kept up with the Israeli-Hamas war, that Israeli soldiers are still getting married? Yeah. And other kinds of things. You know what? Because there's a certain amount of life that just still goes on. So I don't know if it'll be business as usual right away, but I think it turns to that. And then when, when the Lord begins to judge the earth through the seals and then the trumpets and then the bulls that obviously things will get worse.
0: Absolutely. So our final question is a really good one is coming in from asset ministries. So Jesus said to some, I never knew you, after they said, we did this and that in your name, they obviously believed in Jesus. Was it because they did not have a personal relationship with him?
1: Yeah, well, here's the two issues. By the text itself, depart from me, I never knew you. New means to have a personal relationship. But why didn't they know him? Because on Judgment Day, what are they trusting? themselves them their works haven't we done this haven't we done this haven't we done this lord 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 mm-hmm. so their faith isn't in christ alone it's in christ plus and therefore they were never saved let me ask you a question mm-hmm. um think of the pharisees for a minute kim did the, the pharisees believed in the old testament law but they also had church the religious traditions Mm-hmm. Question, did they believe the Messiah was coming?
0: They did. Mm-hmm.
1: But was their faith in the Messiah alone, or was it in the Messiah plus mm-hmm. keeping the law?
0: Messiah plus. <laughs> Absolutely. So
1: they, they weren't safe, just yeah. like Nicodemus. Yeah. Be born again. And mm-hmm. this goes back to our very original point of the evening. There's all kinds of people out there claiming to be safe, claiming to be Christians, claiming to be born again. They've had an experience of some kind. But when you ask them the questions you need to ask, then you can find out have they really understood the gospel and trusted in Christ alone? Right. Regardless of how they're living, you've got to find out where is their faith. And if they have been saved, then you want to share with them how God has a plan for their spiritual growth, how God wants to mature them, how He wants to deepen their faith, how He wants to transform them
0: and so Mm -hmm. forth and
1: so forth. But you don't talk about growth truths until birth truths are settled.
0: Amen. Absolutely. So I know you wanted to kind of um, close it a little bit, and then I do want to talk to uh, my family real quick before everyone leaves me to jump on Lee's about what's coming up next Friday. But I know that you wanted to bring up some stuff about the information where people can get your materials and also the Bible conference that is coming up. Yeah,
1: you'd be so kind. Thank you. Yeah, I just wanted to know, people ask me all the time, so where do you pastor and how can I listen to other materials and so forth? Well, it's at www.gracetruthbible.org. I pastor Grace and Truth Bible Church in Warner Robins, Georgia area. Though I have over a thousand of my messages at Duluth Bible Church in Minnesota, where I pastored for 40 years. Um, Also, presently, I'm teaching, there's, there's four series going. One is on biblical distinctions, which deals with the three tenses of salvation. I'm not personally teaching that. Two other very good teachers are. Uh-huh. I am teaching through Romans, though, Romans 1 through 8. I'm in chapter 3 at the present time. On Thursday nights, I teach, I'm teaching through the story of Joseph. God planned it all for good. You want some encouragement? There's a great place to go.
0: Joseph is my favorite story.
1: Yeah. And then once a month, I'm teaching on Christian parenting by the book, Training Your Children for Christ in a Romans 1 Culture. And those also can, all of these can be found on the website. They can also be found on YouTube at Grace Bible, Grace and Truth, Grace and Truth Bible Church, Georgia. Same as on Sermon Audio. Also, again, at that. Um, free literature at slash free downloads. What I covered tonight is in printed form if you want to read more. I have a booklet called The Promises of God for the Child of God. I have a booklet explaining James 2, like we saw here earlier. We have a booklet here. Oops, let's go back here. Sorry.
0: I, sorry, there. I noticed that it, I noticed it was moving, but it wasn't on the screen. I was like, uh oh. Okay. There we go.
1: So salvation in three time zones, promises of God, faith and works. I'm saved, but struggling with sin is victory available. Romans Mm -hmm. 6 through 8. These are all free, by the way, in PDF. Seven key questions about water baptism. Seven reasons not to ask Jesus into your heart. Number one, it's not in the Bible and he comes in when you believe. Um, Bad news for good people and good news for bad people. That's on John three. Let's preach the gospel. Here's one by a friend of mine: ten principles to ponder when the unexpected Happened. Here's one from a uh, a sister in the Lord who was part of Duluth Bible Church at one time. What cancer cannot do. You know someone with cancer. This is a book that you want. Hmm. Goes over the gospel and it's encouraging for believers as well. I if you want to order some books. And these do cost from Amazon. I've got one shall never perish forever. I go over eternal security. I go over Hebrews 6, Hebrews 10, all the core problem passages. There's an expanded one on salvation in three time zones. If you're a new believer and you're saying, or maybe even say for a while, you, you say, I'm a babe, order my book, I'm saved, now what? And it will help you as well as it can be used in small group discussions. I have a book called How to Interpret First John. As well. Furthermore, we just had a conference in October, a prophecy conference that was excellent. These messages are all available again on YouTube and Sermon Audio or at our website. Um, And we have one coming up at the end of January as well. It's called the Middle Georgia Bible Exposition Conference. It's clarifying the confusion. I, I don't know if you know these individuals John Clark, Andy Woods, myself. Sean Lachlan and Kevin Lucas are the pastors. You say, what are you going to clarify the confusion on? Number one, the gospel, John Clark. Number two, the rapture, Andy Woods. Number three, the coming kingdom, Andy Woods. Number four, on repentance, the most misunderstood word in the Bible. Hmm. I'll be teaching on that. Calvinism and the perseverance of the saints, which Kim just talked about. <laughs> uh, and we'll have uh, Pastor Kevin will teach on how one's method of interpretation has impacted theology over church history. And then Christian Living by Grace by Sean. So this is an upcoming conference. It's free of charge. I invite you to come down to Middle Georgia. It's a great way place to come in January, especially if you live up north, as well as if you can't make it, these will be live webcasts um, as well and archived for later use, though it'll be nothing like being here in person, per se. So, again, here's where you can find out more information on the Bible Exposition Conference at www.gracetruthbible.org. And that's all I have, Kim.
0: That is awesome sauce. And all of your links are in the description box. I carried them over from our previous week. So if anyone okay. wants to click, Thank and you. I know that Sandra was sharing them here in the chat as well. So just really quick, it is 9.15. If you can just give me two seconds, I'm gonna upload something really quick. Um, hopefully this will work. So next Friday, as we all are aware, it is um whatchamacallit, it is post-Thanksgiving. So in, in lieu of a live episode, cause I'm not doing one, what, uh, it's going to be a special, it's like 40 minutes long. It's prerecorded. Um, just something unique that God pressed upon me. And I feel like we're not thankful enough as Christians. I don't know why, but I, I feel like giving thanks to the Lord, at least in my world, it happens daily because I am thankful for everything, whether it's small or little. So anyway, I have a, a group of people, um, friends, my like in real life. So I've got my sister. She's gonna say something. A really good friend of mine, Mike, is gonna be here. Sandra, we've got Jamie, uh, Ren. We tried to get Ren, but her uh, video was just busted, and I just couldn't get her in. So I apologize. Um, Ren just has to mess it all up y'all, but brother Mondo, brother Lee, pastor Kurt. So anyway, it's going to be just a hodgepodge of giving thanks. It's going to be just like this overlay says it's giving thanks in everything. Give thanks for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. So that is next Friday. It is going to be set up as a premiere. So the live chat will be open. Don't know how busy it's going to be, being that it's the day after Thanksgiving. Same bat time, same bat channel, 7 p.m., 4 p.m. Pacific. But tune in because you guys are also in the chat um, are going to have a, a moment to shine as well. So it's just something different. You guys know me. I like to keep you on your toes. Also really quick, uh, by popular demand, I will be continuing with the cooking videos. So just so everyone understands who I am, I am all about Jesus, but I'm also about real life and having fun. We live in a world that's full of doom and gloom. So believe it or not, Pastor Dennis, I've lost subscribers and people emailing me because I'm posting cooking videos and I I guess I should only be doom and gloom and Bible. And if I'm not, then people leave. So that's fine. But I'm doing it. Um, this one is kind of important. It's budget eating, but healthy. So I enjoy doing it. I love the cooking. I love the interaction with you guys. Um, so that's just me. Between the cooking, the Just Unplug. What are people going to do when I upload a makeup video? Then they're really going to leave me. So I am not I'm not a pastor. So... I'm not a pastor, So this is just a YouTube channel where we're all coming together as a family. So please tune in next Friday, 7 PM for our giving thanks episode. It's going to be fantastic. Again, it's only 40 minutes. So jump on, it'll be under an hour and you guys can continue to eat your turkey sandwiches with your cranberry or whatever you eat. Um, and that's it. So those are my house cleaning issues. um, Pastor Dennis, as always, you're amazing. Thank you for always allowing me to express my true self here as well. That means a lot that I can express how I feel um, because I do have questions like everyone else. And um, I appreciate
1: that. No, and thank you for having me on. And I like to say, you know, when you understand grace, it allows you to let your hair down, even if you don't have any. (laughs) It does. It really allows you to relax because I'll tell you, people who don't understand grace. They're all bound up inside. Yeah. They never really enjoy peace because they're mm-hmm. always on this performance base. Except.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And you summed it up. I mean, that's the whole thing is, is are we putting our full faith in what Christ did alone? That's it. It's alone yeah. in faith in, in what Christ did for me. Because believe me, I am a wretch. I say that. I'm really not that nice of a person at times. I know some people think I'm really sweet, but I'm really not. Sandra, I know, has seen my attitude sometimes. I'm really not that nice at times. Um, if she wasn't eating, I'd bring her on to say goodbye to everyone. But, so with that being said, well, we'll definitely connect again. Lord willing, which I really hope the rapture will help and we'll get out of here this year. But if not, it's fine. Um, I thank you. You're amazing. Uh guys, r- get his free resources, buy books, get the get the word out there. Um, salvation is a is a tough topic to discuss and navigate. And you do such a, a fantastic job in and simplifying it, making it digestible. And I really appreciate that. So you've been fantastic. Can you do us one favor though before we close out? Can you yeah. close us out in prayer and then I'll do my little shenanigan at the end. So yeah, thank you.
1: Our, our father, we're just so grateful for your grace. We know that we don't deserve any blessings from you. We deserve your judgment. We know that if we got what we deserved, you'd condemn us to hell because we've all sinned against you multiple times. And yet we are so grateful that you love us in spite of our sin. You sent your son to die and make full payment for our sin. Thank you that he cried out, it is finished. Our sins have been paid in full. Thank you that he rose victorious over death, hell, and grave. And is ever living now to provide salvation for all, full and free and forever. If they're willing to simply transfer their faith from their works, from their church, from their rituals, from their performance. And simply trust in what Jesus Christ has done for them. And we know that the moment they do, you forgive them. You give them eternal life. You reserve a place in heaven for them. They're born again and now have the opportunity to enjoy a personal fellowship with you each and every day and to grow. And that would be your desire for all believers, though we know that believers don't always grow as they ought. And so we thank you again for your faithfulness. And for this time, indeed, may you use the truths that we covered tonight, to be a real encouragement and clarification and edification, we pray now in Jesus name,
0: amen. amen, all right, so Sandra, I guess you got that thing queued up, so guys, um until uh next week again, it's gonna be a fun little different spin premiere, oh, wow. not live, but the chat's gonna be open um so anyway, y'all have an amazing evening, Pastor Dennis. Thank you so very much for uh, coming here tonight. Thank you you guys for being active in the chat. And um, until next time, I will see you guys here, there, or in the air. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you enjoyed the content, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. Also, head on over to our website, lifeclipspodcast.com to find out more information. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, send us an email at questions at lifeclipspodcast.com. And as I always end it, I will see you here, there, or in the air.
2: Titus chapter 2, verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus.